Father, we're just praying that the word comes forth and it's coherent and it, and it has meaning. And Father, that you anoint it. Father, just, uh, I just want to bow before you and say, Lord Jesus, as your servant, I just pray, God, that you speak through me tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. I, I would like to just mention, this is the second time, <laughs> Pastor, <laughs> this is Pastor Dave, who I served under uh, at my last church, and so I spent a few years, we taught a discipleship together, and uh, we were in the men's, uh, we were leaders, or he was, I was under him in leadership in the men's ministry, and also we were on the worship team together. And uh, he plays a mean bass. <laughs> but with that, with that, I, I'm, I'm glad everyone's here tonight. And the word that's coming forth tonight is uh, we're going to continue in the book of Romans. And we're going to be doing chapters 13 and 14. There's a lot of scripture there. There's like 37 verses in these two chapters. So we're going to have to go pretty quick. But before I begin, I just want to open... Um, <clears throat> Because the book of Romans is one of those books that just lays out so much doctrine. But chapters 13 and 14 really lays out some extraordinary on how to do. So with that, I want to say that we have a dual citizenship. We have a citizenship here and in Philippians 3.20, it says, For our citizenship is in heaven, from which also we eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. So we have a dual citizenship, but tonight we're not going to be talking about the citizenship in heaven. Tonight we're going to be talking about the citizenship on the planet. And the second scripture I want to bring forth tonight is that make it, your ambition to live a quiet life, to be attentive of your own business, work with your hands. And, you know, this is what Paul commanded the church in Rome to do. And working with your hands means that you're to be a good worker. You're to be a faithful worker. You should be a worker that people notice. So you come to work on time. You answer the phone when you're supposed to. You keep appointments. So when we live a quiet life, it's a kind of a universal command through the scriptures. And it doesn't mean that we're quiet, that we don't ever speak. It means that we don't raise a ruckus. In other words, we're a peaceful people. So as we get into Rome, into the book of Romans, chapter 13, I want you to also know that these two chapters need no update. They're as relevant today as they were when Paul wrote this letter. We don't have to change anything. We don't have to update anything because what he says to the church is so relevant to us so as we start out in chapter 13, and I'm going to go kind of fast because I only have 30 minutes to 
do 37 <laughs> verses. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kind of be quick. So you're going to have to be a little attentive. But starting in, verse thir- starting in verse 1, chapter 13, it says, Every person is to be in subjection to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those which exist are established by God. Therefore, whoever resists authority has opposed the ordinance of God, and they who have opposed will receive condemnation upon themselves. So right at the beginning of chapter 13, Paul is establishing that all governments have, been, have, have started by God. And so that means if you oppose any government, you're going to be in violation and you're going to receive condemnation. For the rulers are not a cause of fear for good behavior, but for evil behavior. And that, that is what Paul is writing, that you don't have, if you're behaving under the rules and laws of the land, you're not going to be under condemnation. Do you want to have no fear of authority? That's the question. Do you do what is good for do what is good, and you will have praise from the same. For it is a minister of God to you for good. But if you do what is evil, be afraid. For it does not bear the sword for nothing. For it is a minister of God, an avenger who brings wrath on the one who practices evil. So the government has the sword, has the authority to bring the sword against you to bring to, to bring condemnation. So if you're a person who practices evil, if you're in a, a gang, say, and your lifestyle is stealing cars or robbing banks or anything that your lifestyle is is evil and that all you do is break the law, then you live under fear. You don't have peace. And so eventually if Man doesn't eventually stop you what you're doing. You will receive punishment when, when it's all done. And so here we go. For it is the minister of God for good. But if you do what is evil, be afraid. So in verse 5, it says, Therefore, it is necessary to be subjection, not only because of wrath, but also for conscience sake. Now, Second Peter, excuse me, First Peter, chapter two, uh, verses thirteen and fourteen. It says, and Peter kind of backs up what Paul is saying. He said, "Submit yourselves for the Lord, for the Lord's sake, to every human institution, whether to a king, as the one in authority, or to governors as sent by him, for the punishment of evildoers." And praise to those who do right. So in P, when Peter's writing to his, his letter, he's saying almost the same thing. That's that submit yourselves to, to institutions of man. Now, I also want to just bring out, in the third chapter of Acts, there was an incident where Peter and John healed a layman from birth at the Gate of Beautiful. Bunch of commotion goes on. 
So the next day, they're thrown in jail. So the next day, they're before the Sanhedrin. And interesting that as they're trying to find out what to do with Peter and John, they, they realize they really haven't broken any law. But what are they going to do because they're preaching and teaching about Jesus? So when we go to Acts chapter 4, in verse 19, after they were ordered not to say another word about this Jesus, but Peter and John answered and said unto them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to give heed to you rather than to God, you be the judge. In verse 20, for we cannot stop speaking about what we have seen and what we have heard. So there's a time when the, when the law of God may trump man's law. And we live in a society now where we were told to close down our churches. We have curriculums in the schools now, in elementary schools, that are demonic, that the teachers are told to teach. There's doctors in the military who are ordered to do abortions. So we're in a place where you may have to get before the Lord and find out, can I do this? And every one of those situations is going to take the individual to spend time with God, to find out or to, what do I do here, Lord? I'm being asked to do something that's so against my conscience, so against your word. What do I do? These are tough times. I'm so glad that I'm not a teacher. I don't know what I would do. But each one of us has to make that decision based upon what God leads us. And, and there's just an enormous amount of evil now in the world today. So we have to make decisions based on what God leads us. And I'm not going to say yay or nay, because that's up to each individual in each case. So in verse 6, it says, For because of this you also pay taxes, for rulers are servants of God, devoting themselves to this very thing. It's pretty much self-explanatory. It says in the next verse, Render to all what is due them, tax to whom taxes due, customs to whom custom, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. So I want to go to Matthew 22, and I want to read just quickly that the Herodians and the Pharisees got together to, to trick Jesus. The Herodians and the Pharisees, if you know anything about the history of those two groups, they didn't do anything together. They're worse than Republicans and Democrats. But on this occasion, they found a common ground that they were going to trick Jesus, and they're going to find out if there was any way to trap him. So he says, tell us then, in verse 17, what do you think? Is it lawful to give a poll tax to Caesar or not? But Jesus perceived their malice and said, why are you testing me, you hypocrites? Show me the coin used for the poll tax. And they, they brought a denarius. And he said to them, Whose likeness and inscription is this? They said to him, Caesar's. 
Then he said to them, Then render unto Caesar's what is Caesar's, and render unto God what is God's. And they walked away. They, they had no rebuttal to that. It's a perfect answer. Perfect. And God tells us the same thing. We do pay taxes. There's not a lot of wiggle room on taxes, I'll tell you right now. <laughs> and, and we pay, we, we're taxed in this country so much. I mean, city, state, federal, I mean, we all pay a bunch of tax. But God has instructed us to pay our taxes. So as we move along, it says, so in verse 8, it says, Owe nothing to anyone except love one another. For he who loves his neighbor has fulfilled the law. Now that's kind of, you know, you're looking at this, it says, owe no man anything or nothing. It's not talking about finances. But if you wanted to, you certainly could use this to, to tell someone you, you need to live within your means. You don't need to sign any papers that you're going to pay and you don't. In other words, don't have outstanding debt that's unpaid. And that's exactly what the second part of the scripture says. It says, except love one another, for he who loves his neighbor has fulfilled the law. In other words, the debt that will never be paid is the debt to love one another. We're going to love, and it's never going to be fulfilled because we're going to love our brothers and sisters and those who are not a part of the family of God because this chapter happens to be talking to not only believers but to the whole general population. So, so when we look at loving others, it's not just our brothers and sisters. It's those next door. It's those down the street, the ones we see in the marketplace, the ones we work with, our relatives. So we need to be able to love those people who God has already said he loves them. So it may be difficult at times, but that's our responsibility. And it says, for this, you shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder. You shall not steal. You shall not covet. See, when we love our neighbor, we're not going to do any of those things to our neighbor. When we love our neighbor, we're going to be almost doing the opposite. Instead of being covet, instead of showing covetousness, we're going to give, we're going to share. So we're doing almost the opposite. So that you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now, Matthew 22, I believe it's, it's a verse, um, did I give it to you? Uh, it's verse... 36, and it says, Teacher, which is the, what is the great commandment in the law? And he said to them, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and foremost commandment. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments, depend the whole law and the prophets. So, I believe that there's 600 and some laws in the Levitical law, and Jesus just streamlined them down to two. 
that we're to love God and love our fellow man as ourselves. John 13 says, this is the new commandment I give unto you, that you love one another as I have loved you. He says the same thing in 1512, that you shall love, you're commanded to love one another as I have loved you. So this love that God is talking about is a love that we show towards our fellow man. It's not just our brothers and sisters. So all of a sudden, when someone who's very irritable or it's just so difficult to even be around, God has commanded. He, it's, it's not a, it, he doesn't give us a choice in this. He commands it. And so when the church loves like it's supposed to and, and people see the works you do and all of a sudden you become someone that they take notice. And taking notice, they begin to see something that they might even be jealous about or they may want or they may be curious. Because see, kindness, being a, being a child of God, we have a different set of rules. And when the unsaved see those rules in action, it makes them say, wow, I go out of my way in my everyday life to say hi to people, nod to people, wave. I open doors for people. I want to be kind because that is something that we're losing more and more of. People aren't kind. They're, I've been run over in the grocery store by somebody in a, in a hurry. They're just... We just don't show the same kindness that we should. So as we go on, it says, do this, knowing that the time is, it is already the hour for you to awaken from sleep. And now salvation is nearer to you than when you first believed. See, time is moving fast. We, it's not like we have all day and all night. God is saying salvation. It's it's closer than when you got saved. There, it, the clock is running. People are dying. People need to hear the good news. So night is almost gone and the day is near. Therefore, let us lay aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us behave properly as in the day, not in carousing, drunkenness, or sexual promiscuity, sensuality, not in strife or jealousy. And I love that this chapter ends with one of my favorite verses. But put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provisions for the flesh in regard to its lust. What does it mean to make no provisions? In other words, you've got to make boundaries. In, in other words, when you get a phone call from someone that you used to hang with, and hey, we're having whatever. And you know what's going to go on if you, if you go to that party. You know sometimes when someone comes around that you know is, is not good for you. Or what about things we, we watch on television? What are, what are some of the things we can do to draw boundaries around us so it's safe? That's one reason I love teaching the word verse by verse because it's safe. I mean, you can't get too far off track. And I've heard some pretty far out you know, interpretations of some of the scriptures. But when, I, when you do a, a book study or verse by verse, not only is it safe, but it kind of gives you an idea of the big picture 
that Paul is writing about, a big picture of what it means. So we're going to go into chapter 14, and i got to keep going. So in chapter 14, we go back, and now we're brother to brother. We're no longer talking about outside the church. We're talking about inside the church. So in this chapter, Paul is going to be giving us instructions on what our brothers and sisters, how we're to treat them. Now, in the church at Rome, Paul had a letter, or he, he writes when he does chapter 16. So he knows a lot of these people in the church because he names a lot of them. But he, but I don't, he didn't start the church. And I don't know for sure if he'd been there. So I'm, I'm a little fuzzy. I tried to find that out. But I don't even know if Paul had visited the church in Rome yet. So when he writes chapter 14, he knows this. He has a bunch of Jews coming to Christ. And when they come to Christ, they're Jews. And on the other side, you have the Gentiles coming to Christ. And they are coming out of paganism. So you have religious or legalistic people on one side, and you have pagans on the other side coming together and trying to coexist peacefully. But at the same time, Paul knows that there's going to be tension. And so he starts to address the very thing that he sees what could happen. And one of them is the weaker brother. And what I mean by a weaker brother is he doesn't have the same freedom as maybe someone else. Now, when we talk about freedom, who the Lord sets free is free indeed. But we also, we have the freedom to halt back or to hold back. We have the freedom to not take something that we know is legal or for us, but we would abstain from it because we know that it might hurt a weaker brother. So, when we say we have freedom in Christ, we have to take it with responsibility. So, my freedom may not be the same as someone else's. And if someone else has, when I know that brother or sister is, couldn't eat pork for whatever reason, then I'm not going to invite them over and have a ham dinner. So we have to be careful on how we represent ourselves to those who are weaker. And so here we have a church that has legals on one side, Judaites, Judaizers, and then we have the Christian Gentiles come into Christ. So it says, now, except the one who is weak in faith, but not for the purpose of passing judgment on his opinion. One person has faith that he may eat all things, but he is weak if he only eats vegetables. The one who eats is not to regard with contempt the one who does not eat. And the one who does not eat is not to judge the one who eats. For God accepts them both. And I think this is one of the things we miss, and especially in the U.S. because we, we have... Uh, who knows how many denominations, but in the 50s, there, there were very few, if any, that I know of, of non-denominational churches. Most all churches in the 50s were denominations, and we kept getting more and more and more because people were interpreting the scriptures, 
how they liked them or this is we won't do this we won't allow someone to have a glass of wine or we won't allow this or whatever so the denominations this is how we believe if you want to be a part of us this is how you have to act or this is how you have to uh, interpret what what our bylaws are and see that's not what paul was talking about here so he didn't say you guys go start your own church so you can eat meat or you start your own church so Paul was saying, telling these Christians in Rome how to live with each other. The one who eat, or excuse me, who are you to judge the servant of another? To his own master, he stands or falls, and he will stand, for the Lord will make him stand. One person regards one day above another, another regards every day alike. Each person must fully convinced in his own mind, must be convinced. Fully convinced in his own mind. We have a lot of churches that do different things. Some, some churches want to worship on Saturday. Some may want to worship any day of the week. Some on the first day of the week. What Paul is trying to say is that we, we have to believe that our brothers and sisters are bought and paid for by Christ, just like he was. And one of the, one of the things that, that really bugged me is that we get in a place that if you don't think like me, or if you don't act like me, or if you don't have the same experience, then, then I, I don't know if I can fellowship with you. Now, I'm not talking about doctrinal issues. I'm not talking about you know, things that are, gonna, uh, that are doctrinal that, that we have to stand on. But I'm talking about just traditions, how we, how we, how we act, how, how we understand the scriptures. One pe- person regards a day, and, we, and so if this person worships on Saturday, if he's blood-bought, he's no more saved or less saved than me. So when Christ saves someone, I have to believe that I can treat him as a brother or sister. I can't, I can't distinguish, well, I can't fellowship with that person because whatever. Because we're all growing at different levels. Now, we know that, for instance, in the book of Acts, when those eighter guys came to Paul and Paul said, well, when did you get saved, da, 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 da. Well, they hadn't received the Holy Spirit. So when they received the Holy Spirit, <clears throat> they spoke in tongues and prophesied. So some people say, if, you're not, if you don't speak in tongues and prophesy, you're not saved because of that one incident in the scripture. And so you can, you can, you can get yourself so narrow-minded that you can only fellowship with just a few groups of people. See, the universal church, when we're all taken up, I know I'm going to be surprised to see some of the people up there, probably most <laughs> me, <laughs> but... But there's, we just don't understand that the, the hand of the Lord reaches much further than we know. His mercy reaches far beyond what we can see. So, for not one of us lives for himself and not one of us dies for himself. For if we live, we live for the Lord. If we die, we die for the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. And what he's saying here, and I was trying to determine, did he mean because they were living in the days of Nero where he was murdering and, and all kinds of Christians were being 
uh, it was horrible. I didn't know if he meant every, every kind of death. I mean, old age, natural causes. Is he, is he talking about accident? Someone died in an accident. Someone was... I didn't know, but the more I looked at it, I think it means for anyone who dies, no matter what the cause, he dies, or he died for the living and, and those who are dying or who have died. So for this end, Christ died and lived again, and he might be Lord, both of the dead and of the living. So when I go under the ground, he's still my Lord. He's still my Lord. So I don't have to worry about anything because God is going to take me. If I'm dead before the, those who are still alive, I get to go first. So he's, he's the Lord of those who have passed as well as those who are alive. But you, why do you judge your brother? Or you again, why do you regard your brother with contempt? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. For it is written, As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow, and every tongue shall give praise to God. This is different than the white throne of judgment. Okay, so in, in the judgment seat of Christ, we when, we when we before the Lord, we get to sing praises. We don't deal with sin because that was taken, that was already taken care of when we accepted Christ. He did away with the sin nature of us. So when we stand before the Lord, he's not going to deal with sin. What he's going to do is he's going to deal with our rewards on how faithful we were on what he had given us. So the judgment seat of Christ or the Bema seat is we're going to be judged for our rewards on how we live for the name of Christ. So then, each one of us will give an account of himself to God Therefore, let us not judge one another anymore, but rather determine this, not to put an obstacle or a stumbling block in a brother's way. I know and am convinced in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself, but to him who thinks anything to be unclean, to him it is unclean. And it's, it goes along with the, with the scripture that says, if you believe it is a sin for you, it is a sin. So if... If a sin for you is drinking alcohol, but it's someone else, it's not a sin for them where they feel like they have liberty, we really can't judge them. But we can certainly not participate. So you have to be, you have to be wise. You have to be discerning. You have to be able to know what your limits are. And this is my conviction or my conscience. And we don't want to violate our conscience because God gave us that to kind of give us a steering so we go straight, so we don't waver to and off the road. So, for if, for if because of food your brother is hurt, you are no longer walking according to love. Do not destroy with your food him for whom Christ died. Now, if we could put, is it 1 Corinthians 8? That light is right in my eyes, I can't see anything. <laughs> 1 Corinthians 8. Okay, I found it. All right. It, and this is what Paul says to the church in Corinth and to us. But take care that this liberty of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to others. You see the responsibility of our liberty? 
the liberty that God has given us, we have to make sure that it doesn't become a stumbling block for someone because it's easy. And I just know that we need to be careful. We need to be able to know and discern if a brother or sister is, it, it, it's, it's a problem for them. So in verse number 13, after what Paul says in verse 13, same chapter, therefore, if food causes my brother to stumble, I will never eat meat again, so that, I'm, so that I will not cause my brother to stumble. Do you see the responsibility Paul takes when a weaker brother is not able to eat certain foods? Because when the Judaizers became Christians and entering into that church, they were bringing all, all those law things about dietaries. And so they weren't so they were so different for, from the Gentiles that it was causing such, such turmoil. Because when you're religious about something, it's, it's difficult to get, get free from that. So Paul says, rather than deal with it, just, just don't eat meat. I'm not going to eat meat anymore if it causes my brother to stumble. So it says, and as we go on, it says, for the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Boy, if you wanted a, a three-part sermon, there it is right there. I want to know what the kingdom of God is like. I'll tell you what it's like. It's righteousness, it's peace, it's joy in the Holy Spirit. That says so much because you and I, the righteousness of God is we, we clothe ourselves in that. The peace of God that passes all understanding dwells in us, in our mind. We, we can have peace in the, right in the middle of, a, you know, of, of the day falling apart. And joy. We can have joy. The joy of the Lord is my strength. We can have joy in the midst of a bad day. In the midst of, this, of these people living in the first century under Nero. And believe me, Paul knew that some of them were going to be put to death. He, in fact, himself was put to death by Nero. So he knew. He knew the horrible things that were happening to Christians. So as for he who is this way serves Christ, is acceptable to God and approved by man, so then... We pursue the things which make for peace and the building up of one another. Do not tear down the work of God for the sake of food. All things indeed are clean, but they are evil for the man who eats and gives offense. So there you go. You have to be careful. And the man who eats, and, it's, and it's, he, eats out of, he eats out of not, well, I'm going to go right down to the end here. So the faith which you have, have as your own conviction before God. Happy is he who does not condemn himself in what he approves. But he who doubts is condemned if he eats because his eating is not of faith. And anything 
that is not of faith, that's sin. So God gives us the liberty to enjoy all the things that the earth has to offer, but we have to be so discerning and so wise as what and what not to take. And with that, I'll close. <laughs> his fault. It's that guy in the back. Again, thank you very much for your word. Um, we have three questions. Um, the first question is, why is it important to obey the law of the land? Um, question number one. Question number two is, how do we fulfill the law? By loving each other. And number three says, why is it important um, not to judge um, fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. Well, good luck with those. <laughs> and with that, we're going to uh, get into small groups, and then from there uh, um, we will cover ground with the questions. Everybody pretty much knows how to do it, and we'll go from there. Thank you, guys. <laughs>